Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a show that looks at the way technology, politics, and policy impacts the world around us, the tools we use, the way services are delivered, and how we talk about and set policy all shape our society. We'll gather around and have a chat about these things together and more. Before we get started, I do want to let you all know that we've started a Discord for the podcast. There will be a link with an invite down in the episode description. Do feel free to go check that out. It's a small community right now, but hoping to grow it. It's a great way to reach out to me and let me know things that you might want us to cover or to just hang out and talk about civic tech. Anyway, let's go ahead and start the show. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us here on Civic Tech Chat. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do? Yeah. Well, thank, first of all, thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh, my name is Joseph Taharan. A little context, I actually started uh, my career in the nonprofit space, specifically in case management and program management. Um, but nowadays, I in my day job, I'm a product designer. And outside of that, I do a lot of freelance design in addition to um, operating as the brigade co-captain for Code for Chicago, which is, of course, Code for America brigade based in Chicago. And that's actually how I met you, Ryan. That is true. Yeah, Joseph, you and I got to work quite closely at Code for Chicago. And folks oh, yeah. listening probably don't know that this interview is, what, like two years in the in the making. So there's a lot of a lot of hype in my brain for this conversation we're about to have. Yeah, I remember Ryan mentioning when I first met him. <laughs> those, actually, I've known you 2018, I think, 2018, 2019. And like, like I remember Ryan mentioning a podcast then, and I was like, oh, when is he going to have me on? But what am I going to talk about? So... Now I have stuff to talk about. <laughs> but yeah, we've spent a lot of like late nights working together. And Joseph, what would you say is your personal why? The thing that drives you to get out of bed each morning and do what you do? Or in that prior example, stay up real late working on stuff? <laughs> you know, Ryan, I listen to your podcast and you ask this question a lot. And I, <laughs> I can't help but ask myself that question sometimes too. What is my personal why? <laughs> so... To answer the question, I don't know, which is I don't know the responses people have given on your podcast. Because um, I find that um, I, I guess I could like there are obviously altruistic reasons for what I do. I I want to like, um, you know, help the world in any small way that I can. Um, but I'm also like and I don't mind admitting this. I'm like somewhat selfish. I'm very interested in solving really complex problems. And so when I see something that seems challenging or something that I feel like can be resolved within my means like i'm very motivated to to go do it um so <laughs> that's kind of like a twofold answer to that but I'm, I'm i feel like the older i get the less i know about myself <laughs> contrary to what i i feel like i should be doing you mentioned knowing about this podcast the one the one you're on but yeah are there other videos books podcasts or other media that you'd recommend to folks out there that are listening in right now yeah um i'm uh, shameless plug, but I also am a an organizer for like a, a a small book club over in Chicago UX Book Club. Go to meetup.com, and we read a good amount. Of, we read like good UX books every month. And the two that come to mind right now that I need, a, I've been thinking about going back into is um one book is called The Conscious Creative by Kelly Small. The book is about like how you can like try to contribute good 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 work in this world, but also still like profit off of it and not be ashamed about making money doing good things. Um, and another one by Sasha Constantia Chalk, uh, Design Justice. I know this has been like shared a lot in like design circles like mine. 
Um, and it's something that I have to think, I have to kind of go back and read again. Um, and a lot of it deals with like community organizing in the design space, working with, um, you know, on the ground partners who are actually doing the work and making design, making sure design is an equitable process for everybody involved. So as we talked about at the beginning, you've been at Code for Chicago for a minute and you've been leading it for a while also. Why did you want to get involved in and become a leader of an organization like that one? Oh man, Ryan, I... <laughs> it's okay I if I it's had... just the pure force of my charisma. That's, I know, that's a, it, it, it really... So, it, that's partially the answer. Ryan basically asked, like, are you interested? And I was like, I don't know. Get back to me in a month. Let me see how I feel. <laughs> um, but... uh. There has to be some reason. And I think that goes back into like my why. Like I think what we do at Code for Chicago does two things for me. One, it knows I'm like contributing and doing some good work in the world. And the volunteer space provides a lot of autonomy. Um, when you it turns out when you don't attach a monetary incentive to stuff, it it opens up a lot of avenues. Obviously it has a lot of um challenges as well when you're not getting paid to do work, but it provides a lot of freedom um that isn't like if you worked in the consultancy or the agency space that that provides you sometimes. So I, I do enjoy doing that and like seeing something built up uh, and building that thing. Um, I think it's kind of an amazing idea. I don't know. I find that very interesting to me personally. So in the prep conversation we had, as we were getting ready for this interview, we talked a bit about the concept of sustainable organizations. What, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I, when I think about sustainable organizations, especially in the context in, at Cofer Chicago where everyone's not paid to be there, um, sustainable to me means people don't burn out <laughs> and the work doesn't get done, right? Um, so to me, yeah, to be sustainable means people are able to contribute at a healthy and regular pace that makes sense for them in a volunteer role. As one seeks to do that, something that's probably difficult is trying to keep a handle on practice leadership or like the areas that folks are good at, whether we're talking about like developers, designers, uh, folks that are doing like social science type stuff, uh, among other potential disciplines. Uh, how do you all handle guiding and supporting volunteer leaders in these sorts of uh, areas of expertise? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, first off, if anyone has any advice, I'm super <laughs> open to it because this is this is hard because like in, a, in an actual workspace, um, I feel like there's more of incentive and it, more, you have more resources to create those mechanisms to provide that type of support I think people need. And the volunteer space is kind of like a take what you can get sort of thing. And admittedly, like we could do a better job providing support to like practice leadership to getting them to the point um, where they feel enabled to do what they can do. Um, so to answer your your question, like... I think our strategy has been like identifying people who, are, who have like some investment in what we do. Um, and usually that's based on like contribution. And so when I notice people like want to contribute and are active contributors in some sort of way, whatever that criteria is in my mind, I, I try to seek those people out because um, those people like are more likely to put in the time that required in order to be like a practice leader. Um, and like basically, it's, it comes out to a couple of things and there's no real science to it. It's like one, giving them space and asking them like, what is it that you need from us to make sure you do really well? 
and in some cases, like I have like network outside of the brigade within my own professional network to connect them to like a mentor or someone else who could provide them that type of support. Um, and so that's because a lot of the times, like if it's a dev or project manager or whatever, like I, 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 I that's not within my practice because I'm a designer. So usually seeking out those resources elsewhere. Um, and if like, if I can't find anyone, I just usually start asking around to find out what, what is that we can do. So it's a very scrappy approach to it. And I don't know if that's always the best one to approach this specific problem we're facing. Something that occurs to me there as I reflect while, while, while I'm listening to your answer there is I imagine for a lot of folks, it's also this kind of like weird gateway into the idea of like being a leader in a practice and potentially like wanting to use the experience, then get paid to do that same activity. I think that, uh, honestly, I think that's how it operated for me. Like I got to try out being like a developer leader before and figure out if I even liked it before I actually like did it in a place where they'd have like maybe higher barriers to entry. Is that, do you kind of like bump into folks where that's like a path they're trying to go on as you're doing these things? I mean, I've been in the volunteer space because, like I mentioned, I'm in, in nonprofit management in some capacity for quite a while. And like, like it or like it or not, in the volunteer space, it is like partially like professional development for a lot of people. So that's either like pathway to gainful employment if they don't have it already, um, um, or it's like continuing like uh, professional development in terms of building like those leadership skills. Like you, like as you mentioned, you wouldn't get otherwise because the very entry to be a leader code for Chicago is very low because the only requirement that we ask of you is like, can you contribute and are you willing to contribute on a, on a consistent basis? And like our barrier of entry is like, what, it's a couple hours a week. And so, um, you know, a lot of problems we have at the brigade um, it's like senior leadership. And when I senior, I mean like people who've done their practice for like a bit, like a minute. A lot of times you get people that are newer. And so like for me, it's easier to provide support for people that are new, um, but it's hard to provide support for people who already seasoned because it's like they're kind of like either my experience level or above. And so it is kind of like basically a scrappy experience where you kind of have to figure it out as you go or I have to kind of sort like link you to other resources or people that can probably support you better. Something related to there with that experience is uh, you probably also have folks that are leaders on projects that you're then kind of like leading from that layer above that are, they have different skills than you do. Maybe it's, you know, it's a developer while your expertise is more in design or it's someone who's product or uh, something like that. Uh, Is there any, are there unique challenges to trying to like help coach folks that are trying to lead projects in practices that are different from yours? Yeah, that that's a great question, um, and I'm I'm sure we have the same problem because I did have this problem also in the consult in the for profit consultancy space. It's like scope creep. That's the main issue we run into when we do these types of projects. So, like for some extra context, like at Code for Chicago, we do treat it like a nonprofit consultancy, and when we link up with partners, we do a fair amount of like discovery at the beginning to identify what's the technical scope of what we're trying to accomplish. And sometimes the problem is the leaders that I end up getting on the project don't start off on the onset. They come up maybe a little further on. Um, I'm lucky if I do get people at the beginning. So like part of their onboarding, um, we ha- I have to set up a lot of documentation ahead of time to kind of detail, like, this is the scope we're trying to accomplish here. And, you know, this is, and so a lot of their contribution has to be hopefully around the scope. There are times where I don't do a good job scoping as much as I can. There are things you miss and like inevitably you find out things throughout the development process, things that you have to resolve anyway. 
So there's like a fine balance between identifying like the problem to solve, making sure we're solving it, and then like creating um, like additional work as needed. But like that, that's the biggest challenge really is like, it's usually the capacity. Like, I think people are very passionate individuals and people want to like provide, like contribute. I, but I, I think a lot of people don't realize how much work it means in the volunteer space. You mentioned there about the kind of the idea that sometimes you're bringing in folks kind of midstream is a great segue to the kind of the next follow up question I had in mind, which is about succession. I imagine something that comes out up often in these kind of volunteer leadership roles. Uh, what have you learned as you've tried to navigate that challenge? Oh, man, that's so hard. I wish I had a better answer for this, like because succession could be in like a couple of things, right? Um, on the project level, it could mean someone who is a project manager decides they have to leave for whatever reason. And then we have to identify someone else with a similar skill set to take over for them. Um, and then there are like other succession in which like at the leadership level when someone's doing um, either things uh, at, you know, like, for example, like I, we have someone who does events. If this person were to leave tomorrow, like who who's, who's in charge of doing the events or do, is that something that we have to drop for now? Because it's a... Uh, it's challenging, um, and I'm, I'm not afraid to admit, like for especially for the ones where uh, when it's pro at the pro project level, I oftentimes will find myself stepping in into that role, um, mostly because like either people on the project currently aren't willing to or don't want to or don't feel like they can, um, and oftentimes I'll try to ask and, and see if people do want to do that. Um, but like the fact of the matter is, like project manager project management on a project is like integral to like a pro bono project because it keeps the ship afloat as much as possible so um yeah i don't i don't know if i have a good answer to that because it's, it's sort of like we just have to like figure out where, where the resources are available who who's willing to like step up or change their role um but again it goes kind of goes back to that kind of scrappy attitude that we have to adopt uh, when it comes to approaching the volunteer work speaking of those folks that often need to step up into different roles and things i imagine that the way a volunteer's time is used is that uh, you want to make sure that's done in a way that they'll feel is like valuable and like useful and having an impact. Right. And I imagine that an organization's ability to do that well correlates in some way to retention as far as folks wanting to stick around and be involved. Uh, what have you seen that has like worked or maybe not worked so well there? Yeah, that's a good cue. Um, the things I've practiced at the brigade are kind of a version of kind of what I've done in the past in other volunteer programs. And I wonder if other people feel like this is to be true. Um, but I, I find it's very effective. I, one, I'd, at, the, at the first level, just making sure your project is somewhat structured, organized. And so those are like very basic things like having a consistent meeting schedule, which does, which sounds like very easy thing to do, but it's a very hard thing to practice because um, there's, because there's no like stakes in place. So you don't have to meet if you don't want to. Um, but like having meeting, a regular meeting cadence, um, having like having distributing work in a way that um, people can feel like they can contribute. And so um, like for like very junior people, I find that they need to probably need a little bit more direction in terms of what a deliverable looks like. And like that just requires me to provide as much like documentation as much as possible or like having to sit on a call with them one on one to talk to them through kind of what I need. Um, um, but I find that the less abstract ticket speak and assign, the easier it could be for people to like digest and figure out what is it that they can do. Because um, really, a lot of what volunteer comes down to is not really like 
how like skilled you are, well, well, that really helped. It really comes down to the level of effort you're willing to contribute to a project. And that's easier to do uh, when you have good direction and you feel like shit's, like shit's in place and organized. I, I think something I'm hearing from you there is that there's like a challenge in kind of figuring out like what level of ambiguity is appropriate for like where this person's at in their journey right. and kind of trying to like calibrate that. Is that, is that so? Yeah. And, and like, I don't also like ambiguity in general. I don't, I just don't have control over a lot of things as well. And so I, I oftentimes will have a lot of ambiguity that I'm like trying to work through too. So I, I just depend on other people to collaborate with me to figure out what that, how, do, how, how can we reduce that ambiguity as much as possible? So we have an idea of what we're doing. As mentioned, I, I think a couple of times in this conversation already, uh, Go for Chicago tends to focus on partnering with nonprofits to empower mm-hmm. the mission that they've got going on, which honestly, like something that, that sounds great since it, I would imagine it raises the probability that the work you're doing will have some sort of actual impact since it's informed by you know folks with, with experience in the space. Uh, on the other hand, though, there's probably some unique challenges, like working directly with an organization like a nonprofit. Uh, can you talk a bit about that experience you've had so far? Yeah, and I, I, I only can say this because I've also worked in the consultancy space. Some of the problems are very similar. Like you have stakeholders whom you can't get too technical with, um, especially at the nonprofit level. If the if the if the organization doesn't have any like people that are in tech in any, any capacity, and oftentimes the partnerships that we uh, partner with, like they have challenges like rerouting their hosting like in domain provider, for example. Um, so you have to make sure you can communicate technical details, both at not only the dev, but also at the design level in terms of why you're doing something and what you're doing. Um, and then I think it's also like a big challenge that we have for nonprofits too, because they're not paying for the service is keeping a good level set of expectations in terms of like what the output from volunteers could look like, because um, the con- contribute, the contribution, con- oh, yeah. The, the amount that you can give in, a, in your real job is so much more than you can give in a volunteer capacity. And so like progress seems extremely slow because you can spend a whole year just redesigning a website, whereas for most people in a nine to five, that can, for especially a static facing website that's for like for marketing purposes, can be done less than a month, right? Um, but, you know, you're dealing with a lot of volunteers coming in and out. Um, and so like, you have to like set the right expectations when you start a partnership and let them know like, hey, this is what's probably going to happen. Um, there's going to be an influx of volunteers coming in and out. Um, you know, this project will be long. Um, and so like, that's always hard to let people know because you have to, oftentimes they'll have like, we've had one organization who had board members knocking on the door, like wondering like what, what the update with the project was. And I, you know, this is, was a learning experience for me. I had made a promise for a deliverable on a specific deadline, which is like a terrible idea <laughs> because I don't, I don't have control over volunteers' times and I can never predict how quickly someone can work on something, even though like in, in a past job, I had worked with someone and done it relatively quickly. Just volunteers' time works in its own space-time continuum, and you can't ever predict that shit. So you have to be like realistic with your expectations. That very much makes sense. Uh, I'm actually thinking to myself, you know, I, I, I work in consulting for, for pay to keep the, the lights on and this mic working here. And uh, it's even hard in that situation uh, to yeah. <laughs> kind of manage expectations. Or, you know, there's like a team of people around me that they're all getting paid 40 hours a week to focus on this. And we still uh, can get guess, can guess wrong on how long something is going to take. 
So I imagine it's like, and especially any challenge when you have kind of folks that are, you know, it's like in their free time and you're not really always sure exactly how much of the time you're going to get. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it's the clusterfuck sometimes because you're not sure. Sometimes some people's out, sometimes we get that like triple A volunteer that, that just like is hungry and just really wants to contribute and nails down and then we lose them. And then we're back to square one with the terms of out, the type of output we can contribute. So it's, it's so much, it's so hard to predict, manage. And uh, I, I gathered from, from your story, you've had at least one experience there where uh, it ended up causing like potentially a little extra stress there. Have you, yeah. have you kind of tuned how you talk about expectations with these organizations kind of more recently? Yeah, I don't, and I don't know if I'm doing this right. Um, I only know how I know how to do it, Ryan, and you know me. I just, I just tell them straight up, like, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't try to sugarcoat, like, the expectations because I'm just like, look, like, this is volunteers' time. And I may not word it exactly like this, but it's like the, the tone or, like, the feeling you should get from it is like, look, we can do what we do. We want to contribute and help. Um, and so if you want to take on this partnership, and this is, I'm sorry, this is something I, I didn't mention earlier. Like I also mentioned to them, this is like a collaborative experience too. This is not just like you say, this is what we need help with, go do it and get back to us in like six months. This is like, we have a regular cadence with partners as well, oftentimes twice a month to one, provide them updates, but two, like give them homework too, or things to do. Like I know for one partner, like we didn't have anyone on the team that did like content design or write copy um so we depend on our partners to write that for us because they're they're the ones that know they're they're the thing the best and all, all i can do as like a project manager or design lead is help um curate that ex the, the experience or collaborate them and let them know kind of what i feel like we need and it, it's a back and forth in terms of figuring out what what that content ends up on the site but like yeah it's a co very collaborative experience have you found that all of that uh so you know this is a, a pro bon bono model as I think we, we might've mentioned to folks, have you found that there's ever a struggle where uh, since they don't have like a line item saying like the budget where it's like, we paid X amount of dollars to build this thing that that has like an impact on engagement, uh, assuming that they aren't like really tracking the time cost, which I think is something that's like very easy at organizations to overlook. Like, Oh, this is a salary person or an hourly person and they're spending their time on this. Uh, but then yeah, like, uh, do, you, do you ever run into things where, like, maybe they don't see it as there being a big risk, so there's it's, like, harder to engage with them consistently? Yes. Uh, yeah, sorry, and I, I meant to, I wrote this, I wrote that kind of in my jumble of thoughts before our call, but yes, that one of the problems is also engagement as well, because there isn't, and I don't know what it is, um, it could probably potentially be, like, they don't see the value that they're getting out of, because there's nothing really at stake for them, they can dip out anytime they want to, they're... We have had issues with some partners and going back to me mentioning earlier, I had to tell them this is a collaborative experience because sometimes there are partners that aren't as gauged and not, it's not because they don't want to just oftentimes a nonprofit space. You have a lot of dedicated and passionate people who just have a lot on their plate <laughs> and sometimes managing like their, their static facing website or, or whatever, whatever project that we're working on may not be the highest priority sometimes. Um, Cause if you have a fundraiser going on and you're the only person that has to do it, um, I, I bet you that person's probably contributing most of their time towards that, you know, fundraising drive or whatever event that helps like build the equity for the for the organization. Something we've maybe mentioned a little bit in these conversations or alluded to is the concept of burnout, which I imagine is something that's on right. your mind as an organizer of a group like Code for Chicago. Are there things you've tried to do at that organizational level to kind of try to 
help manage the the impact of it? Man, Ryan, I know you asked a million dollar question. I, I wish I wish I had the answers. Um, That's yeah, what they pay I, me the zero dollars for. The, yeah, the zero. Yeah, the zero pro bono pro bono dollars. Um, yeah, burnout is yeah, it's it's tricky, right? Um, the way I try to mitigate that as much as possible for incoming volunteers and what I tell myself at night before I go to sleep is that, um, like the contribution that you can contribute should be whatever you can contribute. And that some people just need a number sometimes. And we tell them like one to four hours. Um, Cause the way we set up our tickets our ticketing system is that the, the amount of contribution you can provide can be done within an hour um, on purpose because I don't want people to burn out because I know what that's like to take on and do a lot. Um, and even to the extent of telling people when they want to do a multiple projects upon joining, I, I kind of set the right expectations. Like, hey, let's start with one. And then if you feel like you can ramp up, you, you're free to join another one. So like, I hate to say it this way, but setting some sort of like, yeah, setting that expectation ahead of time. Um, and then like setting reasonable expectations for contribute, like contributing, like we, we, the approach to like I feel like works best in a volunteer space is like baton passing, and so like if someone is noodling on a ticket and for whatever reason it's taking them longer than possible to do it, um, instead of having them hold on to that ticket for like months on end, especially if they know themselves that they have things going on, um, I always tell them like, hey, look, how you know would it be possible for us to hand this ticket over to someone else? You take a step back or take a ticket that's a little smaller or less complicated or whatever it is that the issue that they've been having or like can you see yourself like pairing up with another person and like so like yeah and then just providing like necessary guidance for volunteers to succeed um and just like and that could be as simple as like telling them like hey look if you can't contribute this ticket or if you can't come this time that's totally fine <laughs> like but it's, it's a balance right because you have to have like some type of consistency in the group and i know there's a lot of people who work in the volunteer space who've dealt with volunteers like really disappearing um, and so it's a balancing act because like on one hand I have to tell volunteers or I need, like, I need to tell them for their own sake and for our sake too, cause I don't want them to burn out that, Hey, you should really only contribute what you can. Um, but on their hand, there has to be some sort of like level of accountability, which is, which is a hard line to tow. Um, because if someone's like consistently telling me every meeting, like, Hey, I'm working on this and it's been like six months, like, like those are the hard discussions that you have to have with them because you're like hey look you know i i get that it's been hard but like this is blocking other people from doing stuff so like you know as like a necessary measure we might have to reassign it to someone else um or try to work with them in some capacity to get it done but yeah it's, it's a hard line to toe i definitely hear you there i actually i remember back when uh we were kind of doing some reorganizing you had kind of taken on wanting to redo the way we were like onboarding folks in particular, yeah. there was kind of like the presentation we had that folks would go through. And I remember one of the things that I thought was uh, really well done that I was excited about seeing is you tried to set up like, Hey, this is probably what you're thinking. You can, as, oh, as far yeah. as the amount of time <laughs> that you can, yeah. you can put this and you had these like blocks and a calendar was like work. And then everything outside of it was like code for Chicago time. But then, but then you're like, hey, like, look, life's a thing, and this is probably what it really looks like. And you put like, you know, you gotta eat dinner, and but you gotta spend yeah. time with the family, or you gotta like, wash your clothes. Um, I, I always thought that like that having that in the presentation was like helpful to kind of help folks see like what the like, reality was gonna be like. 
Right. I, I've had people like give me that similar compliment before because I think, and I don't know if any other people feel this way, but I feel sometimes when we talk about like volunteerism, there's kind of like a pie in the sky mentality or like a, I don't know. It, it's it's it, there's a like an op, there's an unwarranted optimism sometimes, which I don't know that just because I'm a pessimist, I I feel like a contrary feeling. But like I like to just be realistic, kind of like what what how we spend our time and what how we can contribute to the world because like we've all felt like being 18 or 19 wanting to like save the world, but as soon as you get into the world, <laughs> you realize how hard it gets. So I, I I like to set that level like expectations up front so people know what they're getting themselves into. Speaking of folks that are out there maybe wondering about the things they've gotten themselves into, what advice would you give them if they're currently in this moment where maybe they're struggling with feeling a little burnt out, but they still want to have that like volunteer impact and they're kind of struggling with that line? Man, another hard question, Ryan. Quit? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think... And this is something I have to tell myself a lot. It's something I work through in therapy. It's like, recognize, like, what's your priority in your life? What is it that you, like, what are the things that are important to you? And I, I know that's like a hoity-toity answer, but that's really what it comes down to. Like, how do you want to spend your time? We all know we have to work in some capacity, right? We have to make money to pay the bills to help us, like, you know, either support our fa families or ourselves. Um, but what are the other things that are important to you, you know? Um, and how can you still make those things happen with the time that we're allotted, right? Because there's only... 14 hours in a day, or I don't know, maybe less than that for some people when you're not sleeping in terms of how you can spend your time. So I I, I tell people, volunteers all the time, it's like, if, if you feel overwhelmed, like, and you feel like you it stop is blocking you from contributing, like, it's totally okay to leave. Like, if, you know, go for Chicago, you know, <laughs> knock on wood, it will always kind of be around in some capacity. But if not call for Chicago, another volunteer opportunity where you can do some good shit is out there in the world. Um, and it was so like people, there will always be a sense of altruism and community out there, um, whether it's at call for Chicago or elsewhere. So like, it's totally okay if you need a break. And like, you know, as you know, for me, Ryan, like I've done that a handful of times at call for Chicago before I became captain. I've I've, I, you know, I've gone on like months, like not contributing, like, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to dip out for a little bit and come back. And, you know, and, you know, I've, I, I've come back personally. I've seen other people do that and some people don't come back ever. Um, you know, but it really depends on kind of what, where people are in their lives. And I, I, I always try to keep that door open for them if, if they want to come back. Continuing on this theme of getting advice from Joseph, what would you say to someone who is like, say they're just starting out, right? And they're, they're going to be a leader in a volunteer organization. Maybe you want a lot like a code for America brigade. Uh, what advice would you give them as they're, you know, green behind the ears and they're kind of, I, I just mixed up like two idioms and one thing there, but anyways, as they're new to the process <laughs> yeah. and they're trying to figure out what's what they're doing. Um, don't do it. If Ryan tells you Texas <laughs> DMs you <laughs> and slag and asking you I, outright say no, no. Um, uh, it might. My advice would differ, kind of depending on the person. I think um, if you're going into a role where there's not an infrastructure set, or like there's a lot of opportunity to rebuild some infrastructure, um, if I were to like do it over again, I would actually try to, especially if you're in the brigade system specifically, like seek out like mentorship or support elsewhere, um, like Code for Boston, like Hack for LA, like you know, Kofor Philly, these like brigades have been standing, been around for a while. Um, and there's a lot to learn from these other organizations. Um, and so I think, I think if I could do things over again, and um, I would have like sought out 
some solicit some feedback from them first and get, learn kind of from an operational level how they do because you'll find that in the way that the brigade network uh, manages itself it's very like I, would it be accurate to say it's kind of federated and that like, we get a lot of autonomy to do however we want so you find that one brigade does things very different from another brigade um like i i've even disagreed with some things that other brigades do but that's on them and this works for us so um yeah i would try to like get a better understanding of how brigades operate at operate um from a logistical um level um and you'll find that when you do reach out to these brigade leaders, like they're very open and very like passionate about what they, what they do, just like you. And they're very open to like talking shop and helping you out as much as they can. Um, the other advice I would tell someone is like, keep your output, your contribution manageable. Um, if you decide to go, especially in a leadership role, um, know that um, if you are also going on projects is it's it's also another thing like managing a brigade and being on a project are oftentimes not intertwined because one part you have to do a lot of the like recruitment to like fund like to like manage the projects the orientation the the sneaky things that come up like having to submit like like quarterly reports to code for america um those things can come up so recognize that that's a love different level of output from, from contributing to a project and don't do what i do is like be on like several different <laughs> projects at once because that's how you can easily burn out um like it's deceptive um especially when you're on a project and things are very slow that you can do multiple at the same time but i i would keep your i would temper your expectations and just start small first and then gradually like increase your output as you have a better sense of how what what the lay of the land is. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us here on Civic Tech Chat. I, I have no doubt folks are going to listen to uh, what you shared and have some interesting stuff to take about in, in their day to reflect on. Yeah, I, I hope listeners, you got something from this, <laughs> even through my I don't knows or I'm not sure. So I hope I hope this was helpful. This was fun, Ryan. Thank you for having me. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat, visit us on the web at civictech.chat, or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.